13 times in the 150th Psalm. Praise the Lord. If the ancient Hebrews wanted to emphasize something, to really drill it in, they repeated it and repeated it and repeated it. And when the writer of the 150th Psalm says, Praise the Lord 13 times in just a few verses, he is really trying to drive the point in. Praise the Lord. But how do we do that? The genius of this psalm, as we are going to see this morning, is not only does he say 13 times, praise the Lord, but then he talks about how to praise the Lord. If I tell you to build a building or build anything, and I don't give you any tools to do it with, that can be pretty frustrating. But if I tell you to build something, and I give you a tool bucket, and you can pull out a flathead or a Phillips head or a pair of pliers and go to town with them and know what you're doing, you can start putting something together. And what he does in the 150th Psalm, the writer here doesn't say just go out and build something. He doesn't say just go out and praise the Lord. What the writer does is he says, I'm going to give you some tools as to how to praise the Lord. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you in this psalm how to praise the Lord. So turn in your Bibles with me to the 150th Psalm. Now, the reason that there's this emphasis in this psalm over and over and over again on praise the Lord is that the purpose of our lives is to praise the Lord. The purpose, the reason God made us and created us is for us to see Him as He is, experience Him as He is, and respond back to Him with worship and praise. That's the reason we were put on this earth. That's the reason that God created us was to praise Him. Now, we've been in a series of messages on prayer, and specifically right now we're looking at worship as a part of prayer. And I said to you last week, we looked about how do you start a conversation with God. And we saw from the 100th Psalm that the way we start a conversation with God is through worship. Well, when I worship Him, when I start that conversation in worship, who do I say to Him? How do I say it to Him? How do I worship? Well, the 150th Psalm is the answer to that question. How do I worship Him? We're going to see it in the 150th Psalm, that command to worship Him, and then how we worship Him. Now, the Psalms were the ancient worship manual of Israel. When Israel went to worship, just like you got a hymnal in front of you in those pew racks, and just like we had songs up on the monitors earlier, on the screens, even so, the ancient Israelites went to the Psalms as their way of worshiping. And the Psalms were by and large written by musicians. That's the reason you see all of the exhortations to worship using music. Because you have musicians who wrote the Psalms saying, hey, this is how to worship. Now, this particular song, we believe, was sung on festival occasions. It instructs, as we'll see in just a moment, for them to use all kinds of instruments and even the dancers to join in when they worship. This word praise that it happens, that occurs over and over and over again, is the Hebrew word that literally can be pronounced hallelujah. And so it's universal, whatever language it's in. Psalm 150, beginning with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. 
praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. First of all, how does God equip us to worship Him? Well, notice what's said throughout this psalm. Again, that phrase over and over again. Praise the Lord. The idea of the word hallelujah, that's translated praise, means to be deeply thankful and satisfied because you have had an experience of someone or something that has superior quality or has done some great stuff. Let me say that again. The idea of this word praise here, why do I praise? What motivates me to praise is that I have had an experience with someone or something that is of a superior quality and they've done some really great stuff. So what he's saying here is I'm praising the Lord because His quality, who He is, is superior. It is top notch. You can't get any better. And because I am looking at and I have seen what He has done, not only in my life, but around me and in terms of eternity, what He has done. It's the idea of finding my satisfaction in the Lord and delighting in Him. This this is what he's saying. Every time he says, praise the Lord here, what he's telling us to do is not just walk around and say, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What he's saying for us to do is to go to Jesus, and I like to call diving into Jesus, okay? I don't step back and do a drive-by with Jesus. A lot of us are content to do a drive-by with Jesus. Oh, he's nice, he's wonderful, he died on the cross, rose again from the dead, amen, hallelujah, can't wait to get Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch this afternoon or whatever. This is not a a drive-by with Jesus. If you are satisfied with a drive-by, we will never get to who He is. This is where I dive in to Jesus. I experience who He is every day in a new, fresh way, and He's waiting for us to experience that. And when I dive into Jesus and I drink deeper of who He is, and I experience more of who He is, my response is to say, He is the best. It didn't get any better than him. He is of a superior quality. And man, he has done great things. In this world, he has done great things. In my life, he has done great things. He has done great things. He is doing great things. And he is going to do great things. That's the idea here of of diving into him. And as I do that, he begins to bring tremendous satisfaction to my life. In other words, my satisfaction deep inside of me, my satisfaction of my life is met in Jesus. Well, I can't say that enough, folks. Jesus satisfies the longings of our heart. Because He created us to yearn for Him, to thirst for Him. When the Bible says, we saw in the 100th Psalm last week, that we were made, we were created by Him. He just didn't put us together as some 
biological entity walking around. He made us on the inside different from any other of his creation in that we yearn for him. We thirst for him. Now so often we don't realize that we're yearning and thirsting for Jesus. But deep on the inside we yearn and we thirst for him. Have you ever been hungry and gone and tried to satisfy your hunger with sweets? What happens? You get sick at your stomach sooner or later. Okay? Trying to satisfy that hunger with sweets. I had a kid years ago I took to Chick-fil-A and he got all excited. He drank three milkshakes. We got in the bus to head to his neighborhood. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, you got to pick up the speed. You got to get me home in a hurry. And I said, why? And he said, because I'm lactose intolerant. And I said, you just drank three milkshakes and you were lactose intolerant. And then I had thoughts of me spending the afternoon cleaning the bus up. And I was like, we have to break the speed limit. I'm going to break the speed limit. I can get that boy home as fast as I can. He was trying to satisfy hunger with milkshakes. So many times in life, the hunger we have for Jesus, we try to satisfy with something other than Jesus. And the reason the 150th Psalm says 13 times praise the Lord is he's saying find your satisfaction in Jesus because that's the only place your heart's going to be satisfied. Delight in Him. Enjoy Him. Just get into Jesus. Stay in Jesus. Find your satisfaction in Jesus. The whole reason for reading the Word every day and praying every day is not to go through a ritual. It is to dive into Jesus and experience more of Jesus and find your soul's satisfaction in Jesus. And it says, praise the who? Praise the Lord. It is the covenant name for God, pronounced either Jehovah or Yahweh, as best we can tell. And I went through this last week, but it's this idea that Jesus said, I want to covenant with you. I'm going to promise you. I'm going to commit myself to you. And in so doing, I want a deep relationship with you. And the way I'm going to get there is I'm going to shed my blood on the cross. I'm going to lie on a grave for three days. I'm going to rise again on the third day so that I can have a relationship with you. I can fulfill my covenant to you. I am the Lord that you are praising. Then it says, praise God in his sanctuary. The idea there is that I praise the one who is my creator, who has created, and who is still creating. Now, where does it say to praise him? It says to praise him in his sanctuary. Now, the idea there is not of a physical brick and mortar building that we come into and we praise him. Yeah, we praise him in a brick and mortar building like this, but that's not really the idea of the word here. First of all, the ancient Hebrews, when they went to worship in the temple or in the tabernacle or wherever they went to worship, the first thing they had to do is get clean. They ritualistically cleaned themselves physically to represent that their hearts and their minds were going through a cleansing process. So when he says here, praise the Lord in the sanctuary, what he's saying is, clean yourself up. Let me clean you up when you come to worship. The dirtier I am in sin, the harder it's going to be for me to worship. The more messing around in sin I'm doing, the harder it's going to be for me to worship. In fact, if I come to corporately worship like this and I can't get it done, a lot of times it's because there's sin in my life. Now, let me tell you what I like to do. If I didn't get it done in worship, this is what I like to do. 
It's Val Shera's fault that I'm not worshiping. She's just not with it this morning. And it's Regina's fault because she hit some sour notes somewhere along the way. Or I didn't like her prelude that she began with, so it's her fault. And whoever controls that heat and air conditioning back there, it is their fault because it's too hot or whatever in here. And the usher didn't smile to me like he was supposed to this morning and didn't hand me a bulletin the way I wanted. So it's all their fault. See, what we do is we, we blame everybody else, but if I can't worship, what I need to do is start with me. Maybe there's something in me. Because, see, I don't care whether it's too hot, too cold, the usher didn't smile at you, and the songs didn't suit you. Jesus is the same. Folks, when we get to heaven, we're not going to stand in heaven correcting God on the condition of heaven before we worship. When we get to heaven, we're just going to flat out worship because Jesus is Lord, He is King, and that's the reason we worship. So He says here, praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Now, I don't know if you all had this experience or not, but when I was a kid, I went to the table to eat. We had a rule in our house. You couldn't come to the table, and you couldn't eat unless you did something first with your hands. Remember what that was? Wash your hands. Well, I remember my mama. I had occasions when I came in, and I loved to get dirty when I was a kid. And I'd come in and mom would say, you don't sit your foot down at this table till you go to that bathroom and you wash your hands. And so I'd go in there and I'd have to wash my hands. Sometimes I had to show my hands when I got back to the table to make sure they passed inspection or whether they'd been washed enough. Because I like to, you know, cut corners on washing my hands. And mother take my hand out and she'd look at my hand. And sometimes she'd send me back to the bathroom to wash my hands a second time. This idea of praise God in His sanctuary is that when I come into the presence of the Lord, i got to wash my hands. And sometimes the Lord says to us, you didn't get the job done. There's still sin there. There's still an area of disobedience that you're holding back on me from. you got to wash some more. Well, follow me on this. We don't try to wash us. Because we always do an incomplete job. He washes us. When we come to worship Him, folks, the first thing we have to do is say, Lord, I'm in your presence. And you show me every area of disobedience. You show me the strongholds in my life where I'm holding back on you. And you point that out, Lord, and you cleanse me, and you forgive me, and you set me free. Please hear me on this. When we go to worship, whether it's corporately or individually, and God says, that's got to change, and I want to cleanse you and clean you in that area, He is not beating up on you. He is trying to deliver us. And if I will let Him cleanse me, He will deliver me. From the power of that sin and the guilt of that sin and the shame of that sin. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Let me cleanse you. Now notice he goes on from there. He says, praise Him in the mighty heavens. The idea there is the visible arch of the sky. In other words, look up. God cannot be contained. Look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, how they are fixed in place, how they are at just the right place in relationship to this earth. Scientists tell us that the world, the universe is constantly expanding. 
Why is it constantly expanding? I think it's constantly expanding because God is so full of creative energy. He can't help but create. He creates all the time. And so when God looks over at anything, he says, I just got to get it out of my system. I got to throw another galaxy out there because I got to get it out of my creative system this morning. And I got to do some more creating. Praise him, he says, in his mighty heavens. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Man, I love the Hebrew word that's translated mighty there is an awesome word. It means to be a champion. Praise Him for what He's done to be a champion. When we praise Him, we rehearse His victories back to Him. We say to Him what He has accomplished as the champion. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. By counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Then notice what it says. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you hear what he's saying in this passage? When Jesus went to the cross, you and I were dead in our trespasses. We We weren't sensitive to God. We weren't even listening to him, aware of him. But God stepped in through Jesus and made us alive with him. How did he do that? He forgave us all our trespasses. And he did that by counseling the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If you don't pay your bills, a creditor starts calling you. If you don't pay your bills, you accumulate debt. If you and I accumulate debt, then we've got a record of debt against us and the law lines up against us. And what this passage is saying is that you and I accumulated this debt towards God with our sin. We stood condemned. We stood helpless. We stood owing God a debt we could never pay. And then notice what it says. He set all that debt aside. How? He nailed it to the cross. Every time that day they heard a nail go into the hands of Jesus... It wasn't just a nail going to the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. All our sin was getting nailed on Him on that cross. All of our guilt. And what happens when we sin and we blow it and we mess up? The devil comes up to us and he says, You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. God's not going to love you. God's not going to have time for you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. How many of us hold back from praying, hold back from coming to church, hold back from serving the Lord because the devil stands there and he just puts shame on us constantly? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Well, notice what it says. 
He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. You see, what Jesus did on the cross is he took all of our sin, all of our guilt, and all of our shame. He triumphed over that. But then he went on to triumph over all of the power of Satan And instead of shame being thrown on us, Jesus turned it around and threw the shame back on the devil. As Jesus hung on that cross and as the blood dripped from his hands and his feet, he said to Satan, shame on you. Shame on you for thinking you could defeat me. Shame on you for thinking you could hold me back. Shame on you for telling other people that their sin is something that they would live with and drag them down forever because it's nailed to my cross and it is over and they are going to be delivered and set free. Shame on you. And he says to us, you are delivered. That's why we can praise the Lord. That's what it means for us to praise Him for His mighty deeds. Next, verse 2, it says, Praise Him for His excellent greatness. The word Hebrew word there means to make large in honor. In other words, in my heart and in my mind, Jesus just gets larger and larger and larger. And that's why I just have to praise Him and praise Him and praise Him. Because He gets larger and larger in my consciousness, in my mind, in my life, as I experience Him. My praise is going to be in direct, direct proportion to my daily experience of Him. Where do you start praising Him? Go to the cross. Hang out there for a while. And then go to the empty tomb and the resurrection. Folks, listen, if we can't praise Him because of the cross and the resurrection, we are never going to praise Him. If my praise is based on my circumstances today and where the things are going my way, my praise is going to seem good one day and going to be the pits the next. But I don't start at my circumstances. I don't decide whether I'm having a good day or a bad day and therefore I'll praise Him. I praise Him because He died on the cross. Because of what I just talked about. I praise Him because He conquered death the grave and everything that had to be conquered on the cross and in his resurrection. I am praising a resurrected Savior. I am praising an alive Savior. I am praising a Savior who conquered it, walked out of the grave, walked into our lives, and he is alive and nothing Jesus faced, he didn't face down. That's who I am praising. Now notice how we praise him. It says praise him with what you got. Now, it's a diversity of style and sound. He says, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the loop and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Active. Now, what does it take to praise him with all those instruments? It takes practice to praise him with all those instruments. It takes different personalities who are an expression to praise him. Now, I, I'm not an instrumentalist, Okay. But I've always heard that drummers have unique personalities. People who play wing um, string instruments have to have a different personality than a drummer. People who play flutes, etc., winds, have to have a different personality. What is he saying here? I don't think he's just saying play all these different instruments, which was part of it. But I think he was saying play according to the personality that I gave you. 
Play with who you are. Bring who you are in here. And praise me according to that. You see, discover what God has and is putting in you. That's your purpose. That's the trajectory of your life. That's what he's got for you. And then praise him with that. Some of you that I'm speaking to this morning, you read this and you say, Pastor, that's nice, but the, I, I don't even play a radio well or a CD player or my iPod. How in the world could I use music to praise him with? That's not the force of what's being said here. What he's saying is take what God's put in you and use that to praise him with. Years ago, when we were at Shrimp, we had a lady who came to us, and her thing was knitting. And she said, I want to use this gift of knitting I've got to reach young girls for Jesus through shrimp. So this is what we did. We set up a tent in a place called Young's Terrace, which is a large public housing project in Norfolk. We set up a tent. We put her under the tent. She got her yarn, and she got a whole bunch of... I call them sticks, but I'm sure there's needles or something. Okay. And you see how into knitting I am. And she got out there every evening, and she had a group of girls around her. And she taught them how to knit and talked to them about Jesus. You see, she was using what she had to honor him with. A number of years ago, uh, Hurricane Rita roared through the Gulf states. And I took a group of folks, guys in the church I was serving at the time, and we went down to, uh, to Texas in the aftermath of that. Now, I'm a preacher, but you know I was never asked to preach one sermon while I was down there. Because preaching sermons wasn't going to do anybody any good in a yard filled with downed trees. What they were interested in is the guys we brought who knew how to work a chainsaw. My job was just, they called me the dragger. My job was just to drag everything they were, were cutting up. But I watched guys get out there who've been swinging chainsaws since they were teenagers, and they worked all day long cleaning up yards and cutting up trees, etc. They were using who they were and what they had to praise the Lord, and it met the need where they were. I had a guy in Digstown several years ago. We had a bunch of kids who were wild as they could be. We wanted to reach them. But they weren't going to sit through a Bible study of our life depended on it. So he took them and he worked with them all week to learn how to build a bench that they could take home and keep forever. And he ta- I went in there and I loved just sitting there listening to him. He'd sit there and they'd be pounding nails and so on and so forth all week. And he's talked to them about Jesus as they were doing. He was using what he had to praise the Lord with. Whatever God's put in your life. Use that to praise the Lord with. And whatever God has done and shown you, in a few weeks, Sunday, March the 1st, we're going to have lunch after church, and then our church is going to be set up with a ministry fair. All the ministries that we have here are going to have tables, and you can go and talk to the leaders in those ministry areas. You can get information from them. There's a flyer in your bulletin about it this morning. And that's designed to help you find where is my place in serving Jesus. How can I take what I've got and praise Him in a different, unique ministry. And if you say, none of them fit me, 
then where do you think God might use you? We can start a ministry based on what you feel like the Lord has placed in your life. Final thing I want to say to you is let God take your hurt to healing as you praise Him. Let God take your hurt to healing as you praise Him. What do I mean by that? Mal Seal, who passed away two weeks ago, about, it was back in the late 70s. She was, I think, in her late 40s at the time. Her husband, my Uncle George, was in his early 50s. They ate dinner, they came in, they sat down in the living room on a Saturday night. And he sat in his chair and he breathed a deep breath. And then she noticed he wasn't breathing anymore. He had a massive heart attack and died in their living room that night. And my aunt's life changed radically. She wasn't old enough to collect Social Security. She had to go to work. She got a job at Danville Memorial Hospital as a patient representative. Receiving people as they were coming into the emergency room. And she would try to see whatever kind of needs they had as their loved one was being attended to by medical personnel. Several months after she got that job, there was a lady that came in one night. Her husband came in in an ambulance, and he died in the emergency room of heart attack. And my aunt went over there and sat down beside her when she learned what had happened, and she said to her, I know what you're going through because I just lost my husband the same way a few months ago. I am walking in the shoes that you are now walking in. You see, she allowed God to take her hurt and to become a place of healing in her life and in somebody else's. If you and I fixate on the hurt, we will never get healed. If we allow God to take the place of hurt and to become a place of healing by ministering and being available to reach out to somebody else who chances are is going through the same thing that we have gone through. God will take your place of hurt and he will make it a place of healing. In the story that I told the kids this morning, those ten leopards yelled out to Jesus. And Jesus healed them. In the story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, in verse 15, there's a very interesting statement. It says, then one of them saw that he was healed. One of them saw that he was healed. And he turned around and he came back to Jesus. And it says that he gave Loud praise to Jesus. It's a fascinating Greek construction of words that are used there. It's the two words that we put together to make megaphone out of in English. In other words, he put his praise into a megaphone explosion of praise. He's going down the road and he looked down and he noticed my feet are all there. My fingers that were being chewed up by this disease are back and they are healed. The splotches that were on me are gone. At Jesus, 
He really must be the Son of God. He really did heal me. And so he runs back to Jesus. And he falls on his face before Jesus. And he says, thank you, Jesus. And then he puts on a megaphone of expression. And he stands up and he looks at Jesus. And he says, I don't care if the whole neighborhood hears me. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. All over town, they heard this leper yelling, Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Because that's what you say when you really have experienced the healing, powerful touch of Jesus in your life. And folks, all of us have been eaten up by the leprosy of sin. And the crazy thing about leprosy is it kills the nerves endings so you don't even feel that you're being eaten up. And that's what sin does to us. We don't even realize we're being chewed up by the stuff that is chewing us up until it's too late. And Jesus comes up to us and he says, I'll touch you and I'll heal you and I will deliver you and I will begin a process of deliverance in your life if you will let me. And what do we do? We don't have to become perfect. We just receive what he's doing. And then what do we do? We put our praise in a megaphone and begin to praise the Lord and praise the Lord. And we fall into Psalm 150 when we cannot stop praising him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can praise you. Thank you, Jesus. That we can say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That sin eats away at our soul and we don't even realize it. You say, I will heal you. Lord, help us to take what you've placed in our lives and use it to bless and praise you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment as we sing a song of invitation, I want to invite you as we sing to come and to give your life to Jesus if you have not done that. To say, I need the touch of Jesus in my life. I need Him in my life. And I invite you to come. If you sense that God's leading to become part of our church family, I invite you to come. If there's any other public decision you need to make, I invite you to come. Lord, have your way with us in these moments now as we sing. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, it has been a while since I have praised him. then I want to encourage you as we sing to say, Jesus, cleanse me and deliver me and set me free so that I can praise you. Lord, have your way with us in these moments. In your name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. Come if you will.